everybody. This is Dr. No-No here with the Chocolate MDs. I'm so excited to welcome you to a new episode of Chocolate with a Side of Medicine. I am here with the none other than the Dr. Chris. Hey, guys. The Amy Jo MD. What's up? And the Dr. Sunshine. Hey, y'all. All right. So what's what's popping? What's been good? Why don't you tell us what's been good? How are you tonight, Dr. No-No? I mean, just hanging in there. I've been here visiting Dr. Chris on my off week, and it has been a fun time down here. Dr. Um, Nono is out here downplaying things. Her and Dr. Chris are out here, you know, having a ball, a blast. They, right. <laughs> living their best lives. Okay. If y'all knew what if y'all knew what it took for us to get them to sit down to record this right now. <laughs> if y'all lies, only knew lies, for just lies. for Dr. Nono to be like, oh, we're just hanging. That's nice. we're just fine we're good we're still alive we're here recording so that, that's always a good thing. don't listen to them audience okay they're just spitting lies okay well what you got to say chris we just having a good responsible time <laughs> lies. Like everybody should it's not a lie i don't tell a lie first of all you're a new yorker so new yorkers are the best at at, at making some they're like oh i don't tell i don't tell lies i just i just make new truths i'm like what like, <laughs> like huh? no how about how about you ask a new yorker for the for the directions and they don't know and they just tell you the directions and they like hella wrong and you're oh, right like, so why did you just tell you didn't know just but say i don't act know like you don't know right okay i have done that with people that come to chicago i'm like uh, <laughs> i think it's this way um good luck <laughs> I, just tell people, see, I just tell people I don't know okay so you know here is something I, I'm sure all of you all know this but I have the worst sense of direction ever like like ever and you know as a teenager I used to be really embarrassed about it because I can't find a way around to save my life and you know when you grow up in Chicago you kind of need to know where you're going so you can you know live your life and I can't do it <laughs> And so I think somewhere between that and getting into medical school, I was like, you know what? I'm smart to get into medical school. So who cares that I'm going to get lost when I cross the street? Like, that's not what's important. <laughs> what's important is that I can save these lives out here. I can't. I, thank God for Uber, uh, GPS, you know, my Google Maps. Listen, me and Google Maps go way back because I, I need directions everywhere I go. Listen, I'm with you. And that's why Amy Jo... MD and I are very good. We're we're like kindred spirits. We feel each other, right? Because I get lost all the time. Guys, you remember when you had to you had to get the directions before you left the house? Yo, yeah. and print them Yo. out. And you print it out and you took the wrong turn. I'd be done. so lost. <laughs> Listen, Yo, people be like, How you know how to get to these places? Because I got lost before. And then I remembered that I had gotten really lost. <laughs> so right. that's how I know how to get here. That is how I know. You know what's so funny? So um, I um, I sold my car. I donated it. Well, I sold it very cheaply to a guy who was doing a lot of good work um, down here, working with children, and he needed a vehicle to get his kids, you know, to and from. And we tried to donate it, but it didn't work Aww. out. But, you know, you such a I sold my car. Person. So like Aww. for like a few, like for dirt cheap. So when I was cleaning <laughs> it out, there's a point to this story, y'all. 
we it's late. <laughs> when I was cleaning it out, like I got all these like random pieces of paper. I'm like, why is this paper in here? And why did I pull out like an old map quest like directions that had printed out so I could like figure out <laughs> where to go? I was like, this paper has to be like 17 years old because I'm pretty sure I've had a cell phone for a long time. But I was like, wow, like it was like all crumbled like in the trunk, like tucked in the back as I was like pulling stuff out. So, oh yeah. my gosh. Listen, I've been getting lost, you know, not, forever. Not 17 years old. It, it didn't have to be that long ago, but we were using MapQuest even, I would say, like, maybe up to 10. I'm trying to think of the I last mean, time I used early it. Early 2000s, at least. I mean, I still, have a, I still have a map in my car. Like, remember when they would give those out? I still have a map in my car. Y'all didn't do, like, the AAA, like, when you would go on, like, a road trip, you print out the AAA, like, road trip uh, map things, and that will give you, like, the entire itinerary for, like... Which exits you need to take, like which rest stops you would do. Yep. Nah. Yeah, we always I use, just I just that. I just use MapQuest and if I and if I got lost, I just look for a gas station, try to get it and try to figure it out. Yo, man. <laughs> the last time I used MapQuest, I was so scared. I know I was using MapQuest because I was visiting my cousins in Georgia and <laughs> Ben Vista, Benavista, small town, Georgia. Mm. And then I remember I had to fly into Atlanta, rent a car and drive to Benavista, Georgia. And I didn't know how to get there. So I had to use it on MapQuest. And I called my auntie before I went and she's like, well, I hope the directions are accurate because, you know, your cell phones don't work work out here i was like what oh, that's a <laughs> she's like, oh my god you have verizon. she's like everybody in the country use verizon if you don't have verizon your phone's not gonna work out here sweetie and i was oh, like wait no. can right. you go get me a board mission a board <laughs> right. mission I'm trying to go back home <laughs> i was like so you're trying to tell me if i make a left or a right down the wrong dirt road i'm just, I'm just <laughs> like just right, right you're done it's if I go to, if I go too far and the map quest directions don't make sense, I'm like, okay, this I'm now now I'm just lost in the country and I got to get somewhere before before sundown because you know sundown exactly. you got to get there. You <laughs> cannot be out here. Like I mean, honest, honestly, like you just have map quest and God, you just pray, and you just make it. I swear to you, I don't know what I would do if I didn't have um Google Maps, like. I'd just be in the house because I'd be like, you know, I would come out, but I'm not sure if I'd get there on time. So you and Chris Chris are cut from the same cloth. Without that little lady talking to Chris through her navigation, what do we name that lady? You you were like, we gotta give her a name. I forgot her. My lady's name name is Sally. Like, like for real, y'all, I used to it's so funny. Dr. Sunshine used to make so much fun of me because we I used to take her, we used to go to a clinic together, and I had my navigation on for clinic. And I'll be going there for a good year or so, still needing navigation. Okay. Yeah. I yeah. was like, why do you need navigation yeah. to get here? And she would take me home all the time. And I'm like, why yeah. do you still need navigation? We do this all the time. She's like, I might get lost. I'm like, but yeah. how, Sway? We do this all the time. Like, I don't understand. I don't have the answer to the question, Sway. I don't got it. It just happened. <laughs> right. So let's just be, let's just be safe. Let's just let her talk. You know let what I mean? Let her talk. Let her talk. I'm like, I don't need this lady talking to me. She's like, no, but the lady know where we going. Like, right, right, right. But she right. knows. She, but she does. Does she know? Now, you guys have to promise me that you're not going to be bored by this trending topic because this trending topic is not super exciting at all. Okay. But I decided to talk about it. And I wanted the trending topic to be more of a discussion. But I am going to start it off with um, just basically like some key points. 
So a lot of people have been asking me like, hey, can you guys please talk about the Johnson & Johnson vaccine? Mm. It's new on the market. Can you please answer our questions? So I decided to get some quick facts together and just tell you guys the basics about the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. And from what I know, as in comparison to like Pfizer, Moderna, all that jazz. Now, I'm sure all the other doctors on this podcast as well may have things that they want to add in along the way, which, of course, ladies, you are more than welcome to do so. But for the basics for the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, for people who care about like studies and things, I'll keep it real short and sweet. They did studies on lots of different people in lots of different countries. It's about 40,000 people. The vaccine's approved for people 18 and up. And um, basically the way that they did the study is they basically gave half of the people the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. They gave the other half of the people placebo. Placebo basically means these people, like they kind of mixed up the people. They both got an injection. Half the people got real vaccine. Half the people didn't get anything. And basically they just watched them over time and as they got COVID and how effective the vaccine is. That's how the trial went. That These are the results that we have. So they basically did this trial in South Africa, South America, Mexico, and the United States. A lot of people are asking about the demographics of the people in this study. So this study in particular has a lot of Hispanics and Latinos because, again, they did it in South America, Mexico, the U.S., and South Africa. Um, so the percentages end up being like 53% white, like 45% Latino, 19% black. The reason why this is a little bit off is because they have the whole like white Latino, you know, Latino, mm -hmm. non-white, Latino. Yeah. So, you know, it gets kind of lumped in there together. Long story short, for the people who care about doc, listen, I don't care about the studies. Give me the numbers. Overall, in the trial, it was shown that this vaccine is 74% effective overall and then about 86% effective when it comes to preventing severe COVID symptoms. Now, for people that are like, all right, well, how does that compare to the Moderna and how does that compare to the Pfizer vaccine that we already have on the market? There's something in particular I do want to know about the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Even though it is 80% effective, which is a little lower than the Pfizer and the Moderna, it is also known that it covers for three particular variants. It, it's covering for a... It's funny because they mentioned this U.S. variant, which is interesting because I'm curious as to maybe we have more of the U.K. variant than the U.K. So now they're calling it the U.S. variant. I found that interesting. Mm -hmm. But it has this U.S. variant. It has a Brazil variant and a South African variant. And all three of those variants, plus a couple more, are included in Johnson & Johnson, which might not be included in the other vaccines. So that's the biggest change in terms of the vaccines. And then um, another thing that you should also note is that this one, like all the others, hasn't been studied in pregnant women. And then also you should know that uh, Pfizer is about 95% effective, and then Moderna is about 94% effective. And this one, like I said before, for preventing severe symptoms, is about 86% effective. This one is notably a one dose vaccine, which means you don't have to remember to come back in three weeks. You don't have to remember to come back in a month. You get the shot one and done and you're good. Um, those are like the hardcore basics. Um, to be honest with you, anyone who's looking for some like direct comparisons, long story short, keep it real short and sweet for you guys. The only way that we can do a real hardcore comparison of Johnson and Johnson, Moderna and Pfizer is if we actually had a study that had all three of them and to compare them to each other with the same patients. And we actually don't have that kind of data. The only data that we do have is just comparing these vaccines to how effective they were with the patients that they, that 
you know, that they were using. What's interesting about Johnson & Johnson is that is a, it is a lot more effective in the U.S. than it was in a lot of the other countries that they studied in. So the U.S. effectiveness is much better than South Africa, Brazil, so on and so forth, um, mm -hmm. which I found to be very interesting. Yeah, because even in South Africa, it was maybe like 64% effective at most. And then Brazil was also around 68. But here in America, it's you know, 74% effective overall, but 86% effective for preventing severe disease. I mean, ideally, that's that's what we want. We want to decrease the number mm -hmm. of hospitalizations, number of ICU hospitalizations. And um, mm -hmm. I mean, if Johnson & Johnson is able to achieve that, then that's, I would say that's a win for the vaccine. So, you know, I've had, you know, multiple people come up to me and ask, well, which one should I take? You know, and honestly, the, I mean, the advice is still out there saying that you should just take whatever, which one is available to you at that time, because they all have demonstrated that they've all been effective against the variants, about decreasing the amount of severe infections that you would get and decreasing the rate of hospitalizations, which is ideally what we want with either one of these vaccines that are out right now. So if you're presented with the opportunity to get either one of the three, just just take either one. They're they're all just as good and just go from there. So I agree. And you know, something um you said, Dark Sunshine, and I've been, you know, been trying to push this that uh one of the early things that all the vaccines, whether you get Johnson and Johnson, Pfizer and Moderna, they're gonna do is that they're gonna prevent disease. That really mm -hmm. is the first step. As an individual, getting a vaccine prevents disease. As a collective body, right, a community, we prevent infection rates and spreads. But for you immediately, what, what all the vaccines are going to do is prevent disease because there's just not enough of us vaccinated yet that there's still people that are going to be walking around that do not have enough protections. And so viruses are going to be allowed to replicate freely in their systems until their immune system kicks in strong enough to kind of get control over that virus and, and limit it. Which means that if you've got an opportunity to have a virus in a body that is going to replicate, then that body is going to be contagious. And long as it's contagious, it can spread it. Now, the cool thing about being vaccinated is that, you know, your vaccine kind of triggers your, your alarm system, which is, which is your immunity to say, hey, there's something in here. It's not supposed to be here. Let's take care of it now. Let's prevent it mm -hmm. from spreading. Let's prevent it from replicating. And let's get a hold of it ASAP. Now, when it happens in people who are vaccinated, then that shuts down your ability to be infectious relatively early and quickly. So that means you've got less time to walk around spreading it. So as more and more people get vaccinated, then the vaccine becomes both a thing that prevents disease and prevents infection. But in this mm -hmm. stage right now, it's important that people know what we're doing is preventing disease because the infection is keeps going. And that's why you hear, you know, you know, the chocolate MDs or your physicians in your clinic or, you know, CDC and all these people saying, hey, I know you got vaccinated, but you still need to wear your mask. You still need to maintain your distance because there's not enough coverage. I think the last time I looked at the numbers, I think it really only vaccinated about 10 to 20 percent of the population at this point. Not a lot. And so there are still enough people who have not been vaccinated that COVID, the the virus that caused COVID-19 is still doing its thing. And that's why I wanted to bring this up, because since we haven't vaccinated a large percentage of the population, if you look everywhere in the news, like the Biden administration, they are going hard core Johnson and Johnson, 
mass distribution. Like we have like some type of huge like influx that we're expecting in California. And they are like trying to get as many people vaccinated as possible. And it might just be because Johnson and Johnson is one dose. It might just be the production <laughs> time frame of Johnson and Johnson, but they are cranking these things out. Mm-hmm. So as they crank it out more and as more states get them, the patients are like, whoa, what like <laughs> what yeah. what is this? Like how is it different? How is it the same? I don't know. But it's becoming the new standard, according to the articles I was reading, at least over the next week or two. Um, but I don't know much. I don't know too much personally about like the production and how long it takes. But it's it's the new it's the new kid on the block. <laughs> I was listening to the news about how because there's actually another push for because the U.S. I mean we're we're one of the you know top world powers and we have a lot of spending power. We actually have a lot of vaccines in stock to I think vaccinate the U.S. seven times over. Um, but there's a lot of other countries that, you know, that do not have the, you know, buying power that we have and that are, you know, still struggling to try and get the vaccine. So, you know, we have three options out there available to us. And, you know, there's still some debate on, on, you know, whether, oh, you know, I heard Pfizer came out first, like that's the best one or, you know, Moderna, that, that seems to be better. Or I don't know about this Johnson and Johnson, you know, I, I'm not sure if that's going to be, you know, as good as Pfizer and Moderna, but honestly, just take the first one that becomes available to you. And there's actually uh, not, I mean, this is for just, just like a side note. There are actually nonprofits that are trying to utilize the, the U.S. Uh, extra stock of vaccines and trying to redistribute it to the countries that don't have that stockpile already. So, no, just to say that, you know, all the vaccines that we have out in production right now are pretty good. Um, and that, you know, there are countries out there that still need that in order to, you know, effectively vaccinate their population and prevent the spread that even Joe MD and Dr. Sunshine are talking about. So, yeah. Chris has tried to say something like five times. What are you trying I to did. say, Chris? Oh, my bad. No, I was just saying that I think it's really interesting that you brought that up because I really think it's very important for for people to get vaccinated. And I have this conversation with patients all the time. And a lot of them are very like hesitant about getting vaccinated because they're like, oh, but you know, I can get all these side effects. And I'm just like, so the side effect of a vaccine is totally different from actually having COVID. Like COVID is not like nothing to play with. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had a lot of patients that have had COVID recovered and are still having residual symptoms like low, um, long COVID syndrome is a thing. Like, I meant to talk to you about that, actually. So we actually just got our first post COVID clinic mm-hmm. um, here in the Bay. And I and I was like, why did it take us so long to get this? Because we were keep seeing we kept seeing all these patients that had COVID but have these lingering like lung symptoms. They're like, I still have this pressure. I still have this. I still have that. Mm-hmm. And we got our first post-COVID clinic through university, like UCSF, University of California, San Francisco. And as soon as they opened it, it like booked up immediately. It was like, it was so crazy. I literally, from the moment I heard about it, one week later, booked out for like months. I'm like, that's crazy. Like, that's crazy. There was an article um, that uh, where they were saying that the average time span of long timers people who you know people who have long-term COVID is like nine months wow nine months on (laughs) average and that's true I mean I I have a few patients in my practice um that that you know were infected uh 
and had COVID-19 syndrome and we're still managing their symptoms. It's in a whole year later. Yeah, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. I have a I have a lot of ones that were infect, infected maybe like newer. So I have a I have a, like a ton of patients who got it around the holiday time. Mm-hmm. Thanksgiving, Christmas, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and they're still having these symptoms and they're like how do I, you know what I mean? They all have the same question. How do I feel better? How do I get back to my baseline? How do I do this? How do I do that? And I'm like, listen, man, this is literally like uncharted waters. Like we're on this journey together. I'm doing what I can to help you. We got a post COVID clinic. Now we were waiting for one to come in California. I'm like, thank God. I'm like, sheesh. But mind you at the post COVID clinic, which I thought was very interesting because they did a presentation with us. They have the lung specialist there. And then they also have a strong, um, psychiatric, component mm-hmm. to it as well mm-hmm. because they were talking to us about how like how people were dealing with the pandemic in general how people feel like how it affects your your you know your mind when you get covid and then the fact that you haven't recovered from it and how it's like equally like a psych thing but then also a lung it's like a lot of mental health plus physical health it was a lot i was like wow this is really intricate here and they get they get like a lot of like sessions and behavioral therapy and i'm like wow I mean, think about the um, was it the Texas Roadhouse CEO? Yeah, that committed suicide um just because he just was not cold. Yeah, the um, and I meant to read the article. Uh, I saw it and I thought, man, this is horrible. But I saved it. But I haven't read the whole article to get all the details. But um, he was infected earlier on with COVID nineteen and had had like ongoing symptoms and just you know was really having a hard time coping and committed suicide due to the long term sequelae of. COVID-19. Wow. wow. That's so crazy. Yeah. I mean, he, and we're finding research that, you know, the vaccine can actually help mitigate, you know, a bunch of those symptoms. So if he was able to get the vaccine, then, you know, who knows, like he would have been able to kind of help deal with those symptoms a little bit more. And then, you know, probably would have still been with us. COVID-19 symptoms are, you know, significant. And so I've been doing a lot of town hall meetings, um, you know, with my health system and even some, you know, outside of my system. And, you know, one thing to talk about a lot are you, and I I think I've said this on, on our show before that when, when, when COVID-19 first hit, everybody was just like, oh my God, I hope I don't get COVID. But if I do get COVID, I hope I don't die. Right. And that seemed to be like your options. Like, did you get COVID? Yes or no. So did you survive or did you die? And everybody's like, oh yeah, I survived. I'm lucky. I'm going to go about, about my life. And I have been saying for a long time that at some point we're going to turn the corner and our main focus is going to be chronic disease management of COVID-19. And so I think we're slowly but surely getting there. Mm -hmm. And so when you're thinking about like whether or not you should get the vaccine, how you go about protecting yourself, it is not the live or die. You know, you know, dying from COVID is actually not that complicated for the person that's in it, unfortunately, like, I don't want anyone to die from COVID, but the act of dying is really out of your hands, right? Like you become very sick. Sometimes you are unconscious. Sometimes we put you in a coma and then doctors like Dr. Nono and those teams are working really hard to get you back to health. And if for some reason they can't do that, you know, that happens, you know, without little input, you know, from you. Um, And then if you have mild symptoms, you get better. Well, you know, nobody had to intervene. But all the people in the middle, which is where most people are falling into play, that becomes problematic because it's messing with how you work, how you eat, how you sleep, how you interact with the world is messing with your mood, is causing depression to people who've never been depressed, anxieties and people who've never been anxious. And those things 
are harder to navigate because everybody kind of signs up for a little bit of illness for a short period of time. If it's a little rocky for me, I'll see it through. But nobody's signing up for nine months of chronic disease from COVID when they were perfectly healthy before they ever got infected. Agreed. It's a bad trade-off. Horrible. <laughs> it's horrible. So, you know, you know, there's that. So um, it brings me to, you know, the topic of the day. Um, the topic of the day is not COVID. It's not COVID. <laughs> it is not COVID. It's not COVID, but it is related to the things you can do as a patient. So um, this is not uh, a, a, a medical topic, but hopefully we go through some things that um, will help you be a good patient and then help us be good doctors in the clinic. And then if you ever want to know the things we talk about when y'all are not there, well, we're about to give you that <laughs> little snapshot. Is that what this is about to be? Can yep. we really do this? Because yeah. I don't yeah. think people need to know what I really think. I, we won't tell you what we exactly say, <laughs> but we're going to tell you the things that, you know, sometimes. A behind make, the scenes. Make behind the, the scenes. Right. You know, we're trying to get to the, we want to get to the end of the day in the clinic and, and, and live our best lives too. And sometimes when you've had a day full of people who are doing everything they can to make sure both them and you do not make it to see another day, <laughs> it is exhausting. So, um, we're talking about things you can do to really maximize your, your appointment times with us. And so we're going to all be chipping in. You know, we've all got experiences. We've all had clinic visits that have gone amazingly well. And we've also had some that you're just like, nothing, we got nothing done. And so <laughs> um, we're going to do it. Why this matters is because in 2017, JAMA, um, it's a journal, um, it's a medical journal that a lot of us read, came out with this article that was talking about, you know, um, the U.S. healthcare system, how it spends money, how it does care, and really how it's failing Americans. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that stuck out to me in that was that it was saying that in our healthcare system in the U.S., there is a 74% variation in life expectancy across the country. I don't understand. What? So the- 74% like, variation. Yes, so the, the range of who lives and who dies in healthcare systems in the United States varies by 74%. And what are those major factors that make it vary so much? Um, My obesity, bad. Let me let you do, let me let you right. do your thing. No, that's a good question. <laughs> no, you absolutely should ask questions because th this helps. Because this is really literally driven by a conversation amongst us and with the, with the audience listening. It varies by, you know, obesity, inactivity, smoking, chronic disease management, region, neighborhood, community. All It all, you know, is coming to play. And why this matters is that, you know, you always think about patients are thinking, okay, I'm coming to my doctor. So they can make me healthy. But in this article, it said that providers, right? Doctors, physicians like ourselves only account for 10 to 25% max of life expectancy improvement. Hmm. So what I do in my clinic, the medicines I give you, the advice I give you and all this kind of stuff only changes the course of your life by anywhere from 10 to 25%. So essentially, it was getting to the point that patient activity matters way more than what I can do for you in the clinic. Now, it's something that we inherently know. We tell people all the time, like, listen, this only works 
if you're going to participate, right? Like I say it all the time, like this medicine only works if you take it, you know, the lifestyle changes only work if you can, you know, act, you know, act them out. But here was this article that was really kind of laying out to say, listen, what I do as a doctor, um, only, only affects you about 10 to 25% because all the rest is on you. If we're really going to change your life expectancy, like if we're, and, and, and I'm not saying like, oh, you come to see me, there's something happening to you right now. And I treat you for something. That's not exactly what we're getting at. So you come to see me and you got, you know, bronchitis and you need me to treat it. And I give you something and you feel better. That's not what we're getting at. We're getting at chronic disease management and changing you from somebody who was going to live to the age of 65 to changing you to somebody who was going to live to the age of 71. Or change you from living from 75 to living till, you know, 87. That is what we're talking about. My role in that is minimal. Your role in that is big. Hmm. And so one of the key things they were saying is that, you know, trying to get people to feel integrated into a community where the behaviors that you're trying to do are commonplace becomes a key. Now, we all trained in the hood, okay? And (laughs) when I was reading it, I was like, oh my God. Because what I'm thinking about, you mean to tell me to get my my patients to participate and save their own lives means that they need to create or I need to figure out a way to create an environment where everybody's out out in these streets doing the right thing. And I think about the streets I drive down to get from Inglewood to my apartment on the west side. And I'm like, but where? Like where where is that where is that community? Because it's not my it's not in the neighborhoods that I'm in. And it's definitely not in it's definitely not in a lot of the neighborhoods that I'm in now. So, you know, I have patients that are living in rural communities. They talk about poor access to fresh fruits and vegetables, poor access to roads. You know, I you know, some of my patients live in the country now. So when I'm like, well, why don't you take a walk? And they're like, Well, at nighttime it's dangerous because there's no road, right? There's the main street. And then there's a ditches. And so when they're saying that somebody's ability to extend how long they're going to live is 75% based on what they do and 75% based on do they live in a community where everybody's trying to live longer and that's how they're going to live longer. I was like, oh my God, we're in trouble. Yeah, because even when I would counsel my patients in Inglewood and I'm kind of telling them the things that they can do to improve their health and things like that, they look at me like, you know that, especially people who live in a house with other people, they're like, oh, you want me to eat this and cut this out and cut this out? Well, what's my husband going to eat? And what my kids going to eat? Like, what they going to eat? I'm like, well, if you're making the food, they'll eat with They're like, they're not going to eat that. And I'm like, okay. So then you have to like, because it's not commonplace, because what you're asking them to do or what you're counseling them to do is something drastically different than anything they've ever done. Yeah. Usually. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so to make it, so to make it feel like commonplace is like, <laughs> very true. And people say that all the time, like, well, I, you know, I can't get my husband. I don't think my husband is going to go for that. Or I don't think my kids are going to go for it. I'm like, you Dr. Sunshine. I'm like, I have never seen a toddler who was being adequately fed die of hunger. Right. They're just not. They're going to eat something, and so you know, I've got these people saying, you know, if I don't, you know, if I don't have Cheetos in the house, then my kids won't eat. And I'm like, yes, they will. They, they will absolutely eat. Um, listen, listen. When I was growing up, I could appreciate like when my father cooked something. If I didn't like it, he's just like, this is what you're gonna eat. If you don't want it, make something else. Guess what? I ate it because I wasn't trying to eat something else. 
right? Yeah. I hear some of these people like, oh, I got to make this meal, got to make that meal. I got this, and then this person doesn't eat this, so I make this. And I'm like, why can't you just make one meal and everybody eat? Yeah, but you know, I think I think this article was getting the fact that the concepts are so foreign, right? And and mm-hmm. I have to remember, you know, um, that my tax brackets are different, you know, my it, my exposures are different, and so even though I yeah I live in the same city as as the as some of my patients, how I view myself in you know in my neighborhood in my environment or what I need to do about it is so different, and so. You know, the problem was that, you know, this article essentially saying, you know, the absence of a healthy of healthy community norms equals poor health outcomes. And so even if, you know, everybody, the whole the whole hood is going to get McDonald's at 3 Mm a.m. Right. So, you know, when we lived in when we lived in LaGrange um, back in medical school, you know, there was a farmer's market and. (laughs) everybody was going right at some point you went um and you you know you got something and stuff like that so if everybody kind of went to that spot right versus everybody goes to you know rico's you know chicken and waffles you know because that's where you go on the weekends that's what you do so everybody at some point is going to visit that spot because you've been talking about it and so there's a, such a big difference sometimes in poor communities and and you know more affluent communities where just what you do on the weekends drives you know your health and wellness right so on the weekends you look out my window in the morning you're gonna catch somebody hitting that street running right it can be eight in the morning it can be nine ten <laughs> you're gonna like, jo- like jogging jogging like hey i'm going on my run oh, yeah, that's dr nono's uh <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> you know, but but just you know, so that that becomes a, that becomes an issue because this becomes bigger than what happens in your doctor's office, and so you know, think about all that stuff, and so one of the things we were going to talk about, one of the things we are talking about, is even if I play a small role, I think I still think we play a huge role, like one hundred percent. And how we educate people or how we get them to understand, like, here go all your issues, here go all your challenges, and here go all the suggestions on how you go about tackling those. Those happen in the clinic. But there are limitations to that, especially when I am taking care of people who look like me, because we just are not prepared for the visit. And I, as I, you know, practice longer and longer, I realize that part of the issue is that patients sometimes feel like I'm going to show up and I'm just going to tell you what's wrong in, in random order. And you're the doctor is your job to put it all together and spit out a plan. I don't have enough time to get the raw data and then just spit out this plan because the clock is ticking. You all are booked on our schedules and 20 minute increments back to back to back. Some of us are seeing 20 to 25 and some people are seeing 30 of you a day. And I don't have time to be responsible for both, you know, hearing the issues, prioritizing them, making the plan, doing the education and then doing the recap to make sure you understand it. You got to help me out in that. So we're going to go through some things that I think maximize, you know, the visit. It's hard when people are not prepared for their visit. Y'all, we're in there struggling to like stay on stay on task and make sure we give you something that's quality. I mean, me, maybe I, everybody else has got to be feeling this way because no, 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 no. Amy Joe, I, I, I am totally so do. interested to hear 
what you are about to say. Like, the reason why I'm not saying anything right now is because I'm curious about how you are going to tackle this. Because when you were like, we don't have time to identify and then prioritize, I'm like, okay, okay. Yeah. I'm Where are we going with this? Because right, right. I have a lot to contribute, but I'm, I'm not going to steal your thunder. Listen, jump <laughs> in. Steal the thunder. Thunder away. But okay, so the first thing, the first thing that we got to do, that, that you as a patient, so when you're the patient and you're coming in, the first thing you've got to do is prepare your questions. What are you here for, right? What are you coming in for? I am always shocked when my MA is coming to give me the update on like, you know, Mrs. Such and Such is here, but she doesn't know why she's here. I hate that. What do you mean you don't know? You just, so you just showed up, you know, just out here in the streets. (laughs) Like I'm gonna swing by my doctor's office real quick. So one, you've got to know why you're coming. And if you don't know why, that's a good time to call your clinic to be, hey, I've got an appointment coming up on next Tuesday. I'm just not sure why I am going to be there. Maybe something has changed. Maybe something you know hasn't. But if you know you've got a doctor's appointment, there are things that you're coming to talk about. You've got to prepare those questions. Mm-hmm. Most of the time when I go into a room, I will say, hey, here are the things that we are going to talk about today based on whatever I saw as the follow-up based on my last note. If you're seeing me for the first time, then it's going to be based on whatever you told my assistant that you're here for. And I kind of run through it. I need you to be listening to that because if that's not what was on your agenda, that is the time to tell me. Not, <laughs> not 15 minutes into our encounter to be like, oh, but I want to talk about these three things too. Like, that's the wrong time. <laughs> or, or, or they wait at like the end. You're like, okay, we're done. It's like, oh, but you know, I got this chest pain. Right. That's not the time. No. Listen, tell me everything that you were coming to talk about today. Not, not, don't give me the story behind it, but just say, hey, I was hoping that we were going to talk about this rash I've got on my shoulder. I've got knee pain. I feel short of breath and I was having some issues with my vision. Give me all of them. I am going to, as the physician, say, okay, based on what you've given me, I think we should get through these three. Most of your doctors are going to get through your top three, maybe four. Okay. I cannot address seven topics. (laughs) And you know what? I think it's important to emphasize that. You know why? Because a lot of people have not been to the doctor in person or have not even done remote visits throughout all of COVID. So then now that people are getting a little more, you know, people getting out a little bit more, coming back into the office. So now you come in here with this list. And I mean, like it is, is robust yes. <laughs> of all the things that you have not had done that you haven't reviewed with anybody. You talk about mammograms, paps, colonoscopies, scopes, all types of things, over, overdue for everything, right? Right. I think in the beginning, it really does start with at the baseline, there's got to be an expectation. We only have so much time. We can only cover but so much. And I understand you have this list and we're going to try to get through as much as we can. But this whole like all of 2020, I've been making a list this whole time. It's 20 issues long. We're going to do it all today. Listen. Yeah, we got to we got to get we, out of that. I'm here to bust that bubble. I'm here to bust that bubble real fast. We got to get like, out of real that. Fast. We got to get out of that because at the end of the day, I'm your primary care doctor. So, over time, we're going to get to everything, but it's got to be one at a time. Like, you can't tell me that okay, you everything is pressing, but it's been going on for 2-3 years. 
it's really not that pressing if it's been going on. <laughs> like, I'm gonna need you to like stop. Like, this, you like, oh, I'm coming in for shoulder pain. How long has it been going on? Oh, you know, for two, three years. Okay, so today you decide that we need to address this. Okay, that's fine. What has changed? Now it's been the same, you know, but you know, and then I got this rash though. No. Right. Mm-mm. And don't get me wrong. I get that you've decided, you know, enough is enough. I, I've let it yes. linger on and I, now I need to, to address it, but don't lead with, I've got shoulder pain. I've had the shoulder pain for, for five years. And I just, you know, I think I need to talk about it. And and then because now I got to get this whole backstory on it. Like when did right. it start? Was there ever a you know? Right. Did you hurt it? Like I got to figure out what happened over the five years that's made it worse or better, anything like that. And so we get through all that kind of stuff, and we make this plan. And then you're like, oh, I forgot to tell you that my blood sugars have been in the three hundreds, and I and I ran out of my medicine. One of them would give me a side effect. Okay, that yeah, would have been way that, more important right. than right. the shoulder pain. And not that we wouldn't have addressed your shoulder pain, but. I need to know everything that's on your mind so that we can prioritize what's going to, my job is to keep you out of the hospital. My job is to keep you from seeing Dr. No, no. Mm -hmm. My job is also to make sure that your routine health maintenance, the things that we do to make sure nothing catches us slipping are taken care of. I can't do that. If you're giving me information you know, here and there, or I'm not allowed to prioritize what's going on. So that's why I'm telling you in the, in the beginning to prepare your questions. And if for some reason your doctor doesn't say, Hey, we came in to talk about this, 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 and this before you let him or her start going through their spiel, make sure you say, Hey doc, just really quickly. I brought a list of things I want to talk about. Most time we hear, I brought a list. Almost every doctor will be like, okay, let's hear it because it, yeah. it helps us out. And we're like, <laughs> great. Tell me what's on your list. And so then I can say, okay, I think we should do this, this, and this, and we should not do this one. I have done it. And sometimes I've had to change the list because I've had patients like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let me clarify what I meant by this pain in my foot. It's actually gotten worse and there's a sore on it now and it's like oozing. Okay. okay. That's, that's, that's okay. going to change it. <laughs> right. So instead of thinking, oh, this is a little foot pain, it's been mm-hmm. here for months. Now I know it's foot pain, but there's a wound and that wound has maybe gotten worse. So I need to prioritize that at the top of the line. I need to look at it. I need to make sure you don't have an infection that's going to end up in the hospital. So it allows me to prioritize. So that was the first thing. The second thing is... Oh, if, one thing I'll, one oh, thing I'll add yeah. before you go to your, to your second thing. I like to let their patients to let my patients say their list as well, because a lot of times what's on their list is very similar to what's on my list. And I'm like, yeah. I am so happy that your overdue pap smear is on your list. You know why? Cause that's on my list too. Cause you're like three years overdue. Let's do your pap smear. We're doing that one today. So I like to, sometimes your list will combine with your doctors. So coming prepared with the list is key. But go yeah. Ahead. yeah. So preparing the list, let us prioritize, you know, where you're, you know, how we're going to talk about this, how we're going to approach it is good. Um, the next thing is more for people who are new. Um, if you're coming to your doctor and you're new and you have had a long history of healthcare with other people, you've got specialists, you've got things, right? Diseases that somebody has been seeing you for. You've got multiple sclerosis, you've got diabetes, you've got hypertension, you've got ADHD. I need you to send those medical records before your appointment. Or I need you to know that if we 
if if we're not going to get the medical records until after I see you, there are some questions that I can't answer. So insurance companies have gotten very funny about covering labs. Like if somebody has done the lab before I did, and it's not time for that lab to be repeated based on just standard literature, it doesn't matter that I can't see your labs. They're going to say, well, that sucks for you, Amy Joe MD. Um, Dr. Chris saw this patient um, two months ago and she got an A1C on your patient. And that A1C was elevated. And yeah, you probably want to do something about it, but you can't recheck it for another month. And so, you know, without those records, I don't know what it is. And, you know, I've got patients sitting in front of me saying, oh, yeah, I had labs done, but I don't remember the numbers. You know, they should be in my record somewhere. You know, they've got to be somewhere. Yeah, that that's true. And we can hunt them down. But in this moment, I can't make any decisions about what to do about your health care because I don't know the story. And while I appreciate most of my patients ability to try to tell me how it happened, you know, y'all are storytelling and I'm looking forward, I'm data mining. And sometimes those are different, (laughs) right? (laughs) So, you know, any medical records that are important, you need, um, I know a lot of clinics are like mine that, you know, if you are, if you have ADHD or ADD, and you're taking Adderall or Vyvanse or, you know, any stimulant, uh, you cannot just show up in my office and say, well, Dr. Sunshine used to give me Adderall. I haven't taken it for two years, but, you know, I work a new job now and I feel a little off. So go ahead and uh, resume that medication for me. The answer to that is going to be absolutely not (laughs) until I get the paperwork. And part of that paperwork is proof of diagnosis for some, some things. ADHD happens to be one, a big stickler to me because I want the neuropsych testing that you had done to diagnose you properly with ADHD so I can make sure we're treating the right thing. A lot of people come and they've got all different things. Like, well, I talked to my primary care doctor and sounded enough like ADHD that we started medicine. And I think that that's great, but that's not how I as a physician operate. So you've got to appreciate that from physician to physician, the policies or the workflow in the clinic is going to be a little different. And you've got to allow time to learn what that is and to have the paperwork so that we can move smoothly. So kind of going off of that point. So I, I think a lot of patients, when they come into clinic, they just assume that, you know, the, I think the number one line I heard, just like, you know, just check the chart. Like all my stuff is there. So what you guys, <laughs> what you guys don't know is that unless you're not, unless you are a patient of the VA, so the Veterans Affairs Administration, uh, all the hospital systems, we all have separate, uh, separate uh, EMR, so electronic medical records. So when we look into the chart, we may not necessarily see your information there because it's in a whole different system. And what Amy Jo MD said about bringing your records from your previous primary care doctor or your specialist into your appointment helps us out so much and that we don't have to go through the whole process of like asking to request those records and then waiting and waiting for that records to get sent, you know, back to the office. Cause we, we can't just go check the chart because we may not have the same chart and it may take months for us to get that chart that you had before you came into clinic. So, you know, this is kind of just a disclaimer that you should, you know, you should have some awareness of like what your doctor told you at your last appointment 
And if you're able to bring those records with you to your new primary care doctor's appointment, that would help us out immensely with, you know, kind of picking up where they left off and making sure that we're not, you know, backtracking or, you know, repeating things that were already done in the previous visit. Getting your medical records is 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 important. I'm a stickler on this ADHD thing because I feel like it matters because at the time of your diagnosis, you're often a, a kid, you're a child. By the time you hit a young adult phase, like by the time young people are like, okay, it's time for me to establish care, you're like in your 20s or maybe even in your 30s. So there's been, you know, at least a decade that has passed since you've been diagnosed. You need to hold on. You need to get a copy of your neuropsych testing from your parent scan it, leave a copy in your phone, save it to your Google Docs, wherever you, you know, the cloud, wherever you put it. Because depending on what office you go to, we're going to need proof. And proof isn't, I got a prescription at Walgreens <laughs> that someone writ. You know, somebody somebody, somebody um, put a prescription in, you know, for me. And that's what people do. Like, well, I've been picking this up, you know, on and off consistently you know, for the past three years, Dr. Such and Such wrote it like, okay, but who diagnosed you? Well, we had a conversation about it. And based on what I was telling people, they figured close enough, likely ADHD, and they put me on it. That is not a diagnosis. And I like my license. And um, I don't want any beef with the DEA, or the federal government for that matter. So I'm not rolling with, oh, that sounds good enough. So let's go ahead and give you this controlled substance. Just not going to happen. I, compl- I completely agree. I, I feel like I live in the ADHD capital. I feel like all these all these kids, the young kids, the Gen Zs, um, fresh out of college, they all do coding. They're all in tech. Everybody, A lot of my patients work in tech, Google, Facebook, all this stuff. And I feel like they all have anxiety. They all have ADHD. <laughs> I feel like they all are kind of cut from this, from this mold. Um, but what they also all have in common is that they don't have any proof that they have this ADHD. And I'm like, listen, guys, listen, guys, tell you, tell your friends, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Tell your friends to tell this friends, <laughs> friends to get your with friends. my friends. Right. And we, and we need be to friends. be friends right. in order for you to get this right. ADHD right. medication. Exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah, because I'm like, when were you diagnosed? Who diagnosed you? Do you have any records? No. Do you remember the name of the doctor? No. What office was it? Can't remember. All these things. I'm like, okay, hey, so I'm gonna need nothing. some hardcore proof. <laughs> you yeah, know you know, you know, absolutely nothing. I'm like, hey, we got to get some hardcore proof on this because, and it's a lot of different things too. Because you also have to remember, you know, I'm talking to you know you guys, the listeners. There's a couple of things that need to be in place before we do and prescribe certain meds. ADHD is one of them. Hormone products is another one. Sometimes I need a blood pressure on you. It's got to be current. Sometimes I need proof that you have this condition. Let's get the proof. Like we kind of have to check certain boxes before we can really say, hey, cool. I got you. It's refilled. It's at your pharmacy. Godspeed. Right. Um, and ADHD is definitely one of those. So I completely agree with Amy Jo. You know what the other one is um, where I'm like medical records matter. And I feel like I have this conversation at least three times a week, if not more. This one is for women. Who have had hysterectomies. Oh. Oh, God. Listen, if you are a woman and you've had a hysterectomy and it was recent, I need you to call your doctor's office on Monday and say, can I please have a copy of what surgery I had? Why? Because back to back to back, women come in my office and they say, well, 
you know, we're talking about the routine health maintenance and I'm trying to figure out, do they need pap smears? Do they need, what screenings do you need? And they say, uh, I don't, I don't need to do any pap smears anymore because I had a partial hysterectomy. Y'all can't see my face right now, but, um, <laughs> all of our faces that drives me nuts. Mm-hmm. Now, let me say to all the listeners, this is not your fault. I'm going to have to blame us as, as doctors um, for this because I think this requires a little bit of education. So a hysterectomy, by definition, rem- means removal of your uterus in its entirety. Most women are saying, I had a partial hysterectomy because they let me keep my ovaries. And that is not the definition of hysterectomy. If we took your ovaries, we would have said you had a hysterectomy with oophorectomy, whether that be bilateral, meaning both sides, or unilateral, meaning I took one of your ovaries, okay? So a hysterectomy means we took your whole uterus, and a part of that uterus is your cervix. The problem with not knowing is that there a partial hysterectomy actually really is a thing different from what most women are describing. Most women are describing it because they got to keep your, keep their ovaries, but there is a surgical procedure called a partial hysterectomy where we leave your cervix in and gynecologists do that for different reasons. Why that's important is that even if we took your uterus, if we left this, your cervix, the lower part of your uterus in, then you still need pap smears. And I have caught it different ways. I've caught women who said, no, I had a partial hysterectomy. I'm sure of it. I know that's what my gynecologist said. And then we do a pap smear and I discover there's no cervix there. That's fine. We document it. Or I've had women that said, no, 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 no. They took everything. I had a whole hysterectomy. I'm sure of it. And something was confusing enough about it that we checked anyway. And lo and behold, there was a cervix there. So to clarify it, I think it's easier if women say, hey, Dr. Gine, can I have a copy of what my surgery was so I can keep a copy of it? So when my primary care doctor is trying to make sure I'm up to date on my screenings, I can say, no, this is a surgery I had. You can read this yourself and figure it out. And that will make it so much easier. Agreed. I complete, I've had to have this conversation multiple times. Yes. Multiple times. And I'm like, okay, but because because <laughs> what's crazy about it is sometimes you really have to convince them to be open enough to let you look because sometimes you have the conversation with the patient, right? And you're kind of like, all right, it sounds like either you're not too sure, I'm not too sure, we don't have records in the chart. Do you want me to just take a look? And they're like, nah, nah, you don't need to take a look. Like it's right. not there. I'm like, I'm like, no, 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 no. But see, here's, no harm, no foul. Like if I if I take a look and there's nothing there, then we can both agree that there's nothing there. <laughs> right. But if there is something there, there's part of the patient deep on the inside where I feel like they're like, damn, I gotta get these goddamn pap smears. Right. They're like, no, that should not be the point. The point is we need to make sure that we know what parts of your body are actually present. This is important. <laughs> right. Please let me know. But they be but they be like, see, doc, see, but if I let you look and there is a cervix. 
then they kind of they see it as a punishment. They're like, damn, see, I let you look. Now I gotta get these goddamn pap smears. And I've been left alone. I've been left alone for 10 years. And here you go trying to put a speculum in my hoo-ha. And I'm like, that's not my goal. My goal is not to make you feel uncomfortable with the speculum. Right. I just want to make sure that if something is present, that we are screening it for cancer and it keeps coming up negative. That is my goal. Yes. I want there to be no cancer present. I don't want this whole like, ooh, it's a mystery box. Like, I don't know what's in there. Like, who wants that? And like, <laughs> Right. What are we doing? So, yeah. So, please get the paperwork, right? Um, the same for mammograms. The same for any test you got that was abnormal. Want, g- make sure you keep a copy of your paperwork. You know, scan it wherever. And then also make sure you send those medical records over. One of the things a lot of patients do, I, as a resident, my patients used to do this all the time. And I would, they say, yeah, I got a copy of my paperwork. See, it's right here. And what you would give me is your discharge summary. Okay, y'all. <laughs> yes. Listen, there's lots of good information for you on a discharge summary. It doesn't help me a whole lot. I have a question. I have a question. Dr. Nona, when you discharge people from the hospital, do you go... Do you do you actually take a look at what the nurses are giving them when they're discharged and see if it has real information on it? Because I'm curious what happens on the hospital side to the point where they discharge they discharge the patient from the hospital and they come into our clinics and they're like, you know what? This is what the doctor gave me. They said this is what you'll need. And then they hand this stuff. Well, I don't bother because the discharge summary that the nurses print out is is completely useless. So I whatever what I discharge a patient, I actually type up the discharge summary that of everything that we do or that I done during the hospital visit. And I specifically give that to the patient. I'm like, you take this paper into your doctor and show them this paper and it'll let them know exactly what we did. And then on that discharge summary is all the imaging, all the labs, everything that we did. I am unique in that aspect that some hospitalists don't do the discharge summary before the patient is discharged, but I take I make it a point because I understand that I worked in a clinic and I feel like this is information that would be useful, especially since this patient is being new. A lot of our patients that come into our hospital are going to be brand new to like a primary care doctor once they leave. So I want to ensure mm. that they have all the info, you know, presented to them so that they're not, you know, you know, redoing things or redoing workup that we already done while they were here in the hospital. So I type up my little discharge summary and I'm like, hey, bruh, make sure you take this into your doctor. Right. Is that how you is that how you tell no, them? I'm like, tell them? At the end of the day, I'm just like, hey, you know what? <laughs> I type this up for you. Take this into your doctor. Make sure they see it. Boom. You're done. Let's go. All right. God bless your ministry. Right. It's like playing a, a huge game of telephone. Like you yeah. tell the patient one thing. But then they go to the primary care doctor appointment. They're like, oh, well, they stopped this. I don't know why, but I think you should probably restart it. And we're like, actually, no, we stopped this because for good reason. And it's written in the summary. So that's why I'm like, all right, show this to your doctor to make sure we're not like, to make sure you don't come back and see me. That That's pretty much the right. end of it. But, yeah. but the stuff like that is not necessarily the patient's fault per se. Yeah, it it's is. A lot, right. It's a lot of the, the communication among the systems. Right. Which right, and then this kind of goes back, like what we said before. Like you know, we can't just go back in the chart and say, "Oh, like when you tell us all of our information is there, it's it's not," you know, because there's like four, there's a ton of different electronic medical records that are in circulation and that are used by different hospital systems, and they don't necessarily communicate with each other. 
So until we have like a universal, uh, what we call EMR, where like, you know, we can see all your records from no matter what hospital you went to, you know, until that point, we're going to need to see your records from whatever hospital you went to, to make sure that we're not reinventing the wheel. That's it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I am going to take this time to do a plug and it's going to be a positive plug. And I want to say thank you to somebody. (laughs) And by somebody, I mean a group of people. I would like to personally thank all of the spouses of my patients who are extremely organized and help my patients to keep their lives together. And I'm going to tell you why I say that. Because I have a lot of patients and they're not the best historians, can't keep up with the records, been admitted to the hospital, go to urgent cares, emergency rooms, all that. And you know what? A lot of people who've been married, eventually you guys feed off each other and you realize, you know what? My partner is really good at keeping everything organized and keeping it all together. And you guys are like, hey, can I bring my partner to my doctor's appointment? Of course you can. As long as you feel comfortable talking about your health in front of your partner, cool. I I can't tell you guys, especially at the county, how many lives I've probably saved because men in particular will bring their wives and the wives will be like, oh, doctor, listen, I have their medication list. We take our meds together in the morning. Oh, you need that record? I have it right here. It's like, this is his folder. This is my folder. Are we changing a med? Hold on. Let me get my pen. I'm like, oh, this is amazing. Like, so I want to personally thank all of you because I started, and and the reason why I'm saying this is because very recently I started seeing a patient And he's like, hey, you know, my wife is going to join us. She's parking. Is that okay? Like, can we start the visit first? Cool. See this dude. He was like, man, I was in the hospital. He was trying to tell me the story. He's like, man, I was in the hospital. And, you know, like, I just, I just died. And then they brought me back to life. (laughs) And I was like, what? What? He's like, like, I'm sorry. What? He's like, like, I died. And they brought me back to life. But then they said my heart wasn't right. And then they shocked me again. But I was, I was awake for the shock. But not the first time, but the second time. I was like, (laughs) what? What is he trying to tell me? And he's like, and I couldn't breathe and my heart was going real fast and my legs got swollen and then it went away and then I'm okay now. And I'm like, what is he trying to say? And then the wife comes in and she has all the discharge papers. Looks like it was written by Dr. Nono. Eloquent, beautiful. She's like, here are his discharge papers and this is what happened and this is his med list. I'm like, Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your wife because I was literally like, what happened to this man? I'm like, I have no idea. And I know like now with COVID, um, it kind of restricts who gets to come in and out of the office with you but if you know you are a poor historian meaning you can't remember shit okay (laughs) like no matter how hard you try you know as soon as you get two steps away from that door like it's like kryptonite like like the clo- the further the further way you get your memory just starts to fail. Like if you know that's you, <laughs> then you gotta bring somebody with you so that we can kind of keep track of it so you can remember like what was said, was education, all this kind of stuff. Um because yes. it, it gets I'll bad. write it down for you too. I'll write oh, it yeah, down. Oh yeah, I write it down. Too. I type it in their visit. I type it in their discharge summary. So I will sometimes make a little note saying, Hey, don't forget this, this, and this. Put the bullets, I put in education, all kind of stuff. They will still forget. Yes, they and don't bring anybody do. that's just as bad at remembering as you, right? right? So that's right. what happens too. They're like, "Oh, I brought my friend such and such, so we can remember." And then eight hours later, I get a phone call like, "Hey, what was that medicine you told us to go again?" Wait a minute, I thought your friend said they're oh, they be forgetting stuff too. Listen, don't bring him or her, okay? Bring someone who's going to remember <laughs> what went down so that it can help you. 
Listen, but yeah, listen, guys. I had this one patient on a day that came in, older lady. She comes in on her on her chief complaint. She said something about she died and came back, but she want to know if she could drive. I no, said, <laughs> so she oh, she coming in, and I'm trying to get this information. Her legs are swollen. She can't give me no information. What meds you on? Oh, I don't know. You you, and then I said. And then I'm trying to try to figure things out. And then I, I quickly realized um, in the visit that we were not going to get anywhere. So then I said, <laughs> okay, you're going to come back, but you got to bring somebody that knows what's going on with you. Cause I don't need you to come with just somebody. I need you to come with someone who knows <laughs> who what's knows. happening because you telling me you died, you came back. What does this mean? Like I have no record. Why do you show up with nobody? Like right. I'm gonna need you yeah. to come with like you and then you're gonna ask me if you could drive. No, you said you died and you can't yes. <laughs> right. I don't know what this means. So no. And you no. know, I think what happens is is it's no. to the patient. And we're not downplaying that for you, it was not a big deal. But I think when the patients feel like the the experience was sensational, like that this thing was was such a big deal that surely when I tell the story, my doctor's gonna know exactly what happened. That is not true, y'all. It is simply not true that sometimes even even if even if it was even if it made a big impact to you, even if it's very emotional, even if it was very scary, I can't listen to that story and go, well, based on all of that, this is what I think you have. That only happens on TV. In real life, most of the time, the stuff that y'all are describing could be anything in multiple organ systems, and I just don't know. So I need the data. Right. There are multiple ways you can die. Um, so we know kind of No, no. That's so dark. Like, no, you can die. Real. You can die any kind of way. No, real. <laughs> like we can make deductions. Like, you know, when you say your your feet are swollen, that could be the kidney, the heart, or you know, your liver. True. You know, just kind of putting it bluntly. True. But you know, there's a lot of different medications, a lot of different protocols we follow to treat either one of those systems and they're markedly different from from you know one to the next so that's why i'm saying like you know whatever your doctor gives you or you know make sure you give them the information of the hospital if you're hospitalized for this condition make sure you give that to the doctor that you see so they can get the records if you don't have them on your person so that we can get more info for to make sure it doesn't happen again essentially so i was just going to talk about one of my pet peeves that i don't like is um <laughs> patient comes in and they're on meds and they give you a picture of the pills that have no name. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. I'm about to hit that um, next. Okay. Oh, so, so one of the things that you got to do is please bring your medicines to your appointments, especially if you are not good at knowing what they are, just bring them and, and don't bring me the ones you think that I care about. Just put them all in the bag and bring them because it doesn't help me. If you bring me three and you left two at home and you swore you were going to remember the name, but now here we're sitting in here trying to figure out what it is. And you're stuttering to my, some, something with a B it's a small round one is green. I do not know how to identify your medications by color size or by you know, some random two two letters in the name. Um, the names of medicines can be very similar. 
and they do very different things. So the names can be, you know, almost twins, but be two medicines that do completely different things. So bring your medicines. I am always surprised how many people and not just older people, right? I almost give my seniors a pass because they're like, I've been on this medicine. They they just gave it to me. I have been on this other one for 20 years and now they didn't change to this and I can't remember to save my life. Okay, fine. It's all you 30, 40 and 50 year olds that cannot <laughs> remember the name and y'all are in here butchering the name and I can't figure out what you're talking about. It's not on your medication list. It doesn't like you've ever picked it up. You're swearing to me that you have it. And so now I've got to leave my room, call the pharmacy talk to them, you know, you get put on hold, like it's time, time, time we're wasting. When if you've got all your medicines there, my assistant will do a really good and thorough medical med rec and make sure that everything I'm looking at when I get in the room is current enough to date. That way, if you're having any problems, we, we've got a list to pick from. So know your medicines and bring your medicines. And if you don't know your medicines, the least you can do is bring them. So that I'm not trying to guess by your vowel sounds what this might be. <laughs> yes. And and then and then also tell tell the assistant and the nurse, because a lot of times what happens is that they have the meds, but they don't tell them. And yeah, then, tell and them. Then, and then they're I waiting for in, you. They're like, well, yeah, I, I brought I them for bro- you. But I'm like, but then you they enter it in. Now I have to enter in all of your stuff. Like this takes time. So they could yeah. have done this for me. And I'm just reviewing, but now I got to enter in all these medications. And it's not like you got two, right? You got like 10 and I'm like, yeah. really? <laughs> yeah. Right, so right. the reason, the reason why you want to tell the, the assistant, you reason why you want to tell the nurse or the assistant that came in before me is that they're going to, they're looking at your med sheet. They know what I need from them when I get into the room. So they're going to make sure there's no duplicates. They're going to make sure that it didn't show one dose this time and one dose that time. And so sometimes, you know, you take 50 milligrams of this one. That's the 50 milligram one is in your hand. But it looks like the last time you saw me or saw someone, they changed it to 25. And so they're going to ask you questions like, hey, do you remember picking this up? You might say, oh, no, I never picked up the other one because I hadn't run out of this one. And that helps us, too. Like you were trying to make sure you didn't waste your medication and you didn't realize that some specialist you saw or or even your primary care doctor decreased that medicine for you the last time. And so at least helps us know where we are. So if I'm seeing you and something hasn't changed that I was expecting to change. And now I realize that we didn't, that you're not taking the, the medication as we thought you were going to take it. It saves us a lot of time. And you're not looking at me like, well, I don't understand, you know, why you're asking me this question. It keeps us all in line, but you got to bring your medications. I remember having someone, um, they came in, their blood pressure was through the roof and they were swearing to me. They were taking all of their medicines. I'm taking every single thing. And she was so passionate about it that I'm like, okay, let me check. And so I call, I, I leave the room. I call the pharmacy myself and the pharmacy is like, she ain't picked up nothing, Mm. nothing that you, nothing that you've sent has been picked up in eight months. And so now I'm confused. And she's like swearing to me, like, yo, yes, I do. I take it. I take it. I take it to the point where we can't get anything done except for, I put her on, you know, enough medicines. I think it's going to get her blood pressure control. She comes back in to see me and she brings her medicines. They are so old. They are, they are so mm. old that she, because they sound the same or it's the same kind of this, she's just been taking what she has. And when that runs out, she figured she would, pick up the next one and of course over the years her doctors had changed the 
the the the milligrams on some of them. Some of them had expired. Some of them were twice a day, and then it got changed to extended release, so now it should be once a day. And so she's taking the extended release twice a day. On it was a mess. So bring them in, y'all. Yeah, and it's dangerous, right? Because we're thinking that we're giving you this, and you're taking that, and we're looking at the results of what we think you're on, and we're making real time adjustments. Yep. And if you're not taking that thing and we're adjusting it based on what we think you're taking, that's going to get us into some trouble that can do harm. Right. If it's a diabetes medicine and I drop your blood sugars too low, that's very dangerous. If it's a blood pressure medicine and I drop your blood pressure too low, you ain't going to like that either. Or if I'm thinking, man, your blood pressure looks so great. I can titrate down. And I didn't realize you were taking twice the amount of what I thought you were. And I take you off a medicine and I can't figure out why your blood pressure is spiking. All of it matters. I agree. Mm-hmm. Across the board. So, <laughs> so here's the next thing. Um, arrive early. <clears throat> oh my gosh. This is so important. Oh my gosh. This is Amy Joe's. I feel it coming. So I feel it. You know, we got Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all you know, all that stuff. We've got our we've got our professional pages and our personal pages. And at least once every couple months, I see a friend or somebody that is ranting about, you know. Doctors are wasting my time. I can't believe they, they're so disrespectful. Um, you would think they would at least have the, the respectability to come in the room at my appointment time. And the fact that they can't do that shows that they have no care or concern for how important I am in this world. And so since they can't do that, I'm going to find me a new doctor. Mm. Listen, <laughs> there's not a doctor out there that has not had somebody throw the chunk of the deuces. And so it comes with the territory. And so I am never mad when somebody needs to find a doctor that's a good fit for them. But in this particular case, as it relates to time, this is not all on us. So what you all don't know is that on a schedule, so on my schedule, I I can be booked anywhere from 20 to 25 patients. There is a there is anywhere from a 30 to 45 minute um, break in the day from the morning session to the evening set to the afternoon session. So that may be that they're expecting you from 12 to 1230 to have a space or 12 to 1245 to have a space. And then your next patient may start at one. But on that schedule, you all are booked back to back. In 20 or 40 minute increments for me, sometimes people are booked in 15 to 30 minute increments and there is no space in between that. So patient A is from 8 to 820. Patient B is from 820 to 840 and it continues on down the line. So there is no room for error. So if your appointment is at 820 and you get there at 815, and you take another five minutes because you forgot to fill out your paper, your pre-charting or whatever they sent you. So you got to do that. And then you got to go back down to the car because you left your, your insurance card in the car. And and then you come back up and, you know, and they get you registered. But now it is 835 mm-hmm. and you had an 820 appointment. And now you got to come in, you got to get measured, you got to get weighed, we got to check your blood pressure. Our nurse or our medical assistant's got to ask you why you're here, and we got to <laughs> figure out, hopefully, if you know. And then you got to get your medicines checked and all this kind of stuff. And then you got to see me. And so I'm walking in the door to see you at 8.40. And your appointment was at 8.20. Mm-hmm. That means that at 8.40, when I'm walking in to see you, I'm supposed to be at the next patient's room. And that patient 
the A40 patient is now in the lobby doing the exact same thing that you did. And now I'm going to get in to see you. And I'm going to say, hey, we're here to talk about your blood pressure and your depression medicines and um, your obesity. And you say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we kind of go through all those things. We make a plan. And I say, okay, that's great. Everything looks good. You know what? You're doing so well. I'll see you in six months. And you'd be like, oh, wait, 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 wait. Um, I twisted my knee. I twisted my knee um, yesterday and it always hurting so bad. That's really the reason why I came up in here is no, because my knee hurts so bad. I got to get something for my knee. Mm. Right. And my finger is on the door. Now mm. I've got a couple options. If I leave out of here and say, listen, your time is up. I'm sorry. You're going to walk out and say, Dr. Dr. Amy Jo MD is horrible. Like she was not caring about everything. And so of course we back in, we say, okay, let me get the story. And I'm trying not to rush you, but I also recognize that now, you know, we are behind. And so we do that. Right. And so because there's been no room for error, one appointment like that can now mean that we are two, three appointments behind. Mm -hmm. And that vicious cycle goes on all day. Now, most people are cool customers because they know that when I get in the room, I'm not leaving until I've done a good job, right? Even if I can't address everything, I want to make sure I've heard your concerns so I can tell you how we're going to address them. And I don't want to miss anything. So I'm giving everybody the time that they need. But what you as the consumer of this healthcare product have to know is that I'm at the mercy of a whole lot of things that are out of my control before you get in to see me. Yep. That's why we're running late. Cause I don't get the control when you pull up in the parking lot. I don't get the control. If you know where your driver's license is, I don't get the control how fast (laughs) I don't get the control, how fast the front staff can get you checked in. I don't get to control your blood pressures and I don't get the control. If I get surprised by something that's happening to you, that becomes a priority. It never, it fails to, it always surprises me how many chest pains I get at the end of an encounter. Like we've been talking this whole time. Mm -hmm. And now you tell me now that your chest hurts or that you've been having numbness down one arm and it's been going on for the past three days. We got to address that. Yeah, you got to lead with that. I can't leave you hanging on that. You got to lead with that. You got to lead with it, but even if you don't, let's say yeah. you didn't in this case, you don't do any things we're talking about. I still have to address it. And yeah. now we're late. Right. Now we're late. And so I don't take lunch. I am not, you know, so, you know, people think, you know, that as doctors, we're just somewhere just, you know, blowing you off. Like, you know, we don't care that you've got something to do. I get that. But to get through a day and I got pressures too, right? My, 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 you know, boss wants all my notes done at the end of the day. So all this stuff you're talking about needs to be done. And so once you run late, now I don't get to finish what I don't get to finish the note in the room. Now I'm bouncing from room to room because I'm trying my best to make sure that we get you flowing because when we run late, uh, my, my medical assistant is an hourly employee and she can't take overtime. So I got to get her, I got to get her out the building. I got to get you out the building because you got to get back to work or get back to your kids. I got to get the front staff out the building. No one cares if I'm there till 10 o'clock at night, but when all of you all go home, then I've got to catch up on all the backlogging and all that work. So I'm going to stay and I'm going to write notes and I'm going to do all this kind of stuff. And sincerely y'all, sometimes we are in the office, we get there at seven o'clock in the morning trying to do some pre-charting to make sure we can catch up on the day. 
but in spite of your best efforts, it doesn't quite work out. And then I'm literally sitting in that desk. Dr. Chris has definitely been FaceTime. We have FaceTime together as we're writing notes and we're sitting there till seven, eight o'clock at night trying to get it done. Mm -hmm. That's not, that's not sustainable. That's why you look up and your favorite doctors have all of a sudden left the practice. Mm. It's a flawed system. It's a flawed system across yeah. the board. And it's not, and it's not yeah. the patient's fault. It's not our fault. The, the system itself is flawed. It's stress. It's yes. The system is very stressed. So I think that one of the things that you're really trying to get across, which is what I hope people can understand is that we can't immediately change the system. We, as the doctors, you can't immediately change the system as the patient, but what you can do <laughs> is try to do your best to help us together through this system. And you will help us and the flow of this very flawed system by being early. <laughs> Because yeah. if you are early and you get everything done that you're supposed to do, then if I'm if I'm running on time and you did everything you're supposed to do, then this thing can keep it can it can work. It's not the best system, yeah. but at least I can make it work enough to the point where I'm like, all right, today wasn't such a bad day. Right. Mm -hmm. And it seems I know it seems and I know it seems unfair to you as a patient. I, I have been a patient before and am a patient, you know, when I need to. And I know it seems unfair because to you, the consumer, you're like, well, where's my, where's my payout? I got here early. I I did all my registration, but I still don't get to see you. If my appointment is at, at, you know, 220, I didn't get to see you until 240. That feels unfair to me. I get that. I am not saying that, you know, that the system is perfect. But I'm just trying to give you some insight on what's happening behind the scenes on why it seems that in spite of everyone's best efforts, you still keep seeing your doctor late. I just want you to think that it's because, you know, the chocolate MDs or any physician for that matter is just kind of sitting somewhere enjoying their, you know, submarine sandwich and deciding that, you know, they don't have to see you. That's not it at all. Now we are human. Sometimes we sometimes we run late. You know, our alarm clocks don't always go off either. You know, sometimes we oversleep, stuff like that. So some of that stuff happens or family emergencies come up. That's true. But when I'm in the clinic and I'm running, you know, I am trying my hardest to stay on time. Um, but that on time is a sacrifice to me. So I know that that means that I'm going to, you know, stay later. And it's a balancing act. So we're just trying to figure out a way to make everyone happy, but it's definitely not meant to be disrespect. So give your, give your, your primary care doctor, your specialist a break. When they walk in, they are not meaning it as a disrespect to you. If they somehow manage to um, have you running behind and most patients understand, especially the ones that get to know you and they know that you're going to take time and stuff like that. They're chilling, right? They brought work. They prepare for it. They're like, Oh no, I'm got my book yep. out. I got my schoolwork <laughs> going, you know, I'm good. And you're like, yes, that's fine. Um, but there are some people that are just like, I just don't understand why this happens. And so it's complicated, but that's why it happens. Yeah. And another thing too, is sometimes like we might have a patient before you that required more attention than we didn't. And we didn't know, like it was scheduled, yeah. like, oh, everything was okay. And it turns out when we saw them, oh no, it's not okay. And we yeah. have to maybe coordinate them to go to the hospital or they have to do something else. And that takes time, right? Yeah. And because that is more urgent and that is something that we need to make sure that they get the care that they need appropriately, then you kind of, we run late 
and we don't kind of see you on your blood pressure follow, like your hypertension follow-up, right? Because I mean, you took your meds, it's probably pretty good anyway, right? But this patient actually needs our attention. And it's not that we wouldn't give you the same attention. We would give you that same attention if you presented the same way. Yeah. I mean, I've sent people to the hospital who were having strokes in my clinic. I've sent people who who had heart attacks in my clinic. You know, I've had patients that have been suicidal in my clinic. Mm-hmm. And once that happens, I know immediately that everything that happens from this point forward means the day is going to run late. Now, again, most of my patients are cool customers. And most of the time, the patients can hear the, the hear the, the, the ruckus yeah. happening. So they're like, ooh. You know, so you come in the room and you're like, I'm so, I'm so sorry. I'm running late. They're like, oh yeah, take your time. Something serious was happening out there. Cause we heard the EMS people come in mm-hmm. and then we heard you running down the hallway. And I'm like, yeah, I'm loud anyway. So, you know, my patients are like, you know, we, we heard you, Amy, Joe, MD, you know, you, you supposed to, you know, you take care of business. Um, but listen, I'm also getting these people when I do procedures. I don't know if y'all get this. I'm getting a lot more people when I insert IUDs and they get like lightheaded and almost faint. I don't know what that's about. I don't know what Yo. that's about. I'm like, I'm like, what is this like? I put in your IUD, then you're like, oh, I feel woozy. I need to like lay down for a second. I'm in my head. I'm like, oh, we but don't listen. Have to. <laughs> right, right. I'm like, and then I have to figure out. Okay, and sometimes we don't have an extra room that nobody's using because, of course, I don't want to rest yeah. the patient because now you know your blood pressure done dropped and you vasovagaled on me, and I'm like, oh man, are you lightheaded? Like. The procedure's over. I thought we were good, but I'm like, oh my gosh, where's a free room? Let me get an ice pack. Where's some apple yeah. juice? Like, what are we doing? <laughs> and that's the hard part because then you need all hands on deck, right? <laughs> and so, you know, then you pull your assistant who's supposed to be pulling patients for you out of the out of the lobby to get set up, ready for next appointment. And all that's come to a halt because now your assistant's in the room with you trying to take care of this patient that needs to be, you know, tended to. And you're just like, okay. And so, yeah, it gets, it gets so complicated. Like so many things happen in the clinic. And and I think we've all been there where you're like, man, you know, the sun is out, the birds are chirping. Oh my God, this day is good. All of my patients up to, you know, the first four patients were great. They lost weight. They took their medicines. The A1Cs have dropped by four points. Oh my God, I love this day. And then here come patient number five. That's like, psych, you thought you was about to have this day. Nope, I got chest pain. (laughs) I had a heart attack yesterday (laughs) and my foot is about to fall off. And you're like, oh no. Oh, what's happening? Oh no! no. Right. Oh my God! Please stop. <laughs> Make it you stop. Know? Make it stop. And 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 it's not. And you know, it's it's funny because I my stress is not what to do. The, you know, my training has been good. Those actually, I know what to do with those people. I see them all the time. Like it feels like home. But <laughs> it feels like home. <laughs> the stress is that you know when you leave, when you leave residency and you go into community clinics, the customer service part becomes priority, right? You know, this all this value-based, you know, service and all these things, you know, that people can write evals on you. And so, you know, they don't like your front staff and they write this eval. The evaluation doesn't go on the front staff. The evaluation about your weight, like, oh, my experience with Dr. Such and such was great, but I just had to wait too long, two out of five. Well, you know, that two out of five, nobody cares that you thought it was because of the weight. 
when I do my evaluations and when I'm talking about, you know, my performance, like how, what, what people think of me as a doctor, you're two out of five because you felt a way about the weight gets turned into what I am doing in my performance. And that's not your fault. You know, you, you know, you got to, you can, you know, I want people to evaluate us any way you see fit. Like, you know, like it's, it's your experience. So you've got to evaluate it. I tell people all the time, like it's your experience, but it's also tough in the physician's role because how you rate that evaluation doesn't go on anybody else, but me, but your experience was not just on me. Right. So your whole experience came from a lot of people from the time you walk through the door out of your car to the time you walk back out the door. But when you go into the when you go online and say, This was my experience, two out of five, or when you go online and say, Oh my God, it was amazing, five out of five, who that focuses on is just the physician. So we say all that to say, um, you know, all these things matter. And the only one thing I'm going to leave with uh, before we before we wrap this up is don't hold back information. You will have us spinning our wheels trying to figure out what we're missing. And we're asking you questions and we're repeating the questions. And you're like, no, nah, nah. And then, you know, sometimes visits later or sometimes 20 minutes later, you give the information that becomes the piece of the puzzle that is missing. And you've been holding it out because in your mind, you think you've told me enough to make a decision because you, you kind of think that you know what we need to diagnose you with and it's not right. So give me everything. Even if you think I don't need it, you can say like, listen, I don't know if this is important or not, but what you should know is this symptom popped up two weeks ago. It may be important. Let me sort it out. Data, data dump, you know, here, let me give you everything I know so you can figure out what's happening with me. Do not hold back information. It happens all the time. I don't, I don't and you know mm-hmm. what? In the defense of uh, the patients, a lot of them don't do it on purpose. I don't, I don't think they do it on purpose, but it's not until, it's not until we're like 10, 15 minutes in the visit and you say something. And when you say that something to me, it's it's a huge light bulb to me. And I'm like, what did you just say? And they're like, oh, the last time this happened to me was like that one time I had a seizure. And I was like, you have seizures? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> right. You're like, wait, I'm what? Like, Why didn't you tell? It's not on your chart. He's like, oh I, oh, I didn't mention that. Yeah. So I got a history of seizures. So something like this happened just like this right before. I'm like, listen, this is this is this is a whole brand yeah. new game. Now we started a brand new game. I thought we were playing basketball. You know what? We're playing baseball. <laughs> yeah. Let's just start over. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, wait, what? It changes everything. It does. It does. Especially and and I only say that to say that sometimes I don't think that they do it on purpose. Especially when, like, for example, when my women forget to tell me that they're on some form of birth control. Happens all the time. Happens all the time. Yeah. Go through the med list. I'm not taking any meds, no nothing. I'm seeing you for a pap smear. Do you have an IUD in? Oh, yes, I got an IUD. I asked you if you were on any medications. Yes, I have this IUD. I'm like, do you remember what kind it is? No. I'm like, listen, let's just let's just all take a step back and let's just try to tell everybody everything. Let's just try to just be transparent and try your best. And I know the patients are trying their best. Just try your best to help remember, you know, just... Remember what you can, convey to us what you can, please. 
And you know, people do it a lot with medicines that they stop taking because they figure they didn't need it anymore. And so when they, when, you know, the nurse or the assistants are asking them about past medical history or medications, they say none. And then you start talking to them and you realize like they used to be on blood pressure medicine or they used to be on like metformin for diabetes, but they fixed their diet. And so everything's been good. And while I'm in a, like right now, like it comes up all the time, like, you know, yeah, my diet got good. And so I didn't eat the medicines anymore. So I stopped taking them, but you know, the pandemic has been rough. And so I've gained 30 pounds. And so, but you told us you didn't take any medicine. You didn't have any past medical history. Mm -hmm. It's fine. Listen, I'm okay. If you say, listen, two years ago, I I was pre-diabetic and I took that medicine, but I didn't like it. And so I decided that my best bet is to change my lifestyle. And let's say you did change your lifestyle, but for right now, you, you're, you're not, the lifestyle isn't what it needs to be. And so you've kind of seen some weight come back and you've seen some old habits. That's fine. Just tell me. So I just know like, okay, well, you know, we some prediabetes could be on the table. Let's recheck it. Let's see where we are. I'm not going to just all of a sudden say, here, take this medicine. You need to put it on. Like, it's a conversation like this only this only works if you are agreeable to it. So I'm not going to force any medicines down your throat. My job is to say, here's what I think you should take. Here are the risk. If we do take it here, are the risk, if we don't take it, what would you like to do? And we, you know, you know, we're family medicine doctors. We, we function in dysfunctional situations. Like mm-hmm. that's a part of, of, of kind of working through the ebbs and flow of life with you. That is not always a perfect plan, but if I don't even know what may have been around the corner or something that had been happening to you in your past, then I might be making a bad plan for you. All right, Dr. Chris. Yeah. So let's get to uh, the question portion because I think, I think we're losing Dr. Nono here. Um. (laughs) No, no, no. The reason why we're losing Dr. Nono is because Dr. Nono had plans before this and she can't hang. That's what's happening. (laughs) Well, look, who's hanging now. (laughs) All right. (laughs) So the question is, so um, does his frequent masturbation enhance or diminish sexual function with a partner? Would you suggest breaks from sexual activity to increase sensitivity? Oh, we kind of talked about this in the the penis episode. Yeah, um, I believe we did kind of touched on it. Some. That that frequent masturbation will decrease volume mm-hmm. of of a fluid that, you know, is in ejaculate, but it doesn't decrease fertility. So you're still getting a good concentration, but I don't think that's the question that the listener is asking. Essentially, the, the listeners asking, like, you know, if somebody's masturbating a whole lot and then they're engaged in intercourse, am I getting a diminished uh, service? Right. And the answer is maybe, maybe not. <laughs> Your, you, you know, sexual function. Uh, if you go back to the penis episode or even the WAP episode, sexual function is is variable, right? How are they in shape? You know, how's their diet? You know, do they have any chronic diseases? So somebody that's very healthy, that's very fit, that's got good blood flow, may be able to, you know, get two, three, four up out of them. 
I don't know, right? But somebody who's battling obesity and has got, you know, you know, increased belly fat that also has diabetes and is, you know, got some, you know, neuropathy, they may have decreased sensation. And so, you know, trying to masturbate and engage in intercourse in the same day just may not be something that's very effective for them. So the short answer is that it could affect um, function um, for men. So, you know, it really depends on your partner, but it could be impacted. So if you're noticing, you know, dysfunction, then that's a good reason to have some conversations uh, with your partner. I think it's highly va- variable from um, yeah. from guy to guy. And I, I, I completely agree with what Amy Jo MD just said, um, because depending on the guy, some guys can, you know, go ahead and masturbate it and then they could be rated hop back into action maybe like 10, 15 minutes later. I think it all really depends. Usually from what I have seen with my patients, usually that like quick turnaround time is usually more common in your 20s and 30s as in comparison to like your 60s and 70s, of course. But um, I really think it's highly, highly variable. Um, and like Amy Jo just said, definitely depends. Some people, doesn't affect you at all. If you have other comorbidities that are coming into play, then I think that that also, you know, plays a role heavily, actually. And if those comorbidities are controlled or not, that also plays a role. Yep. Lots, lots lots, of different factors that, that play into there. So the question is, would it make them less... I think it was for a performance thing. Performance. Yeah, it wasn't for fertility. Oh, okay. yeah. It was performance. It, fertility remains intact. Performance is going to be variable. I was just going to say that. If the question is about performance, yeah. Highly yeah. variable man to man. But but across the board, the fertility is still going to be the same. Yeah. And then there was, a, uh, would you suggest breaks? I mean, if they're going to ejaculate, if you're like about to ejaculate, sometimes like what men do when they're about to ejaculate, they do take a little break or change the rhythm a little bit so they don't ejaculate, so they can don't ejaculate as fast and maybe like increase the intensity or make it longer. So it is something. Oh, that I thought they meant, I thought they meant take breaks, like stop masturbating a little bit to kind of build up some desire. Or possibly, you know, I mean, it maybe. was kind of vague. Yeah. So the short answer is, yeah, if yeah. that gets you better function, right. Yeah. You know, so, you know, the, the penis in question is the one that's got to answer this. Right. So yeah, right. <laughs> if, if taking breaks, you notice that you get better function, you know, like if you get better function when you decide not to masturbate that week because you're going to, you know, you know, you're going to have sex, you know, in five days and all of a sudden that sex is amazing. Then, yeah, maybe you, you know, hold out. Isn't that what they tell? Isn't that what they tell the boxers? Remember, they, they, I don't know yeah. if you guys have heard that they tell boxers that they're not supposed to like have sex or anything because it keeps it keeps their edge. It keeps them like, uh, uh, like yeah, oh, I guess God. it's more aggression. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I feel like I've heard that about all athletes. Yeah, yeah, like, oh, if you don't have sex, it is good. You got a big game know, coming up. You got to no. keep your edge. You got to stay, stay with it. I'm like, yeah, it's you need to be aggressive so you're mad when you go. Because, <laughs> I mean, you can't, can't go to a boxing match and you're happy. Yeah. weird right right you feel, so good. you feel so good and boom you get knocked out like that's not weird. <laughs> <It's> crazy <laughs> i'm just saying if you know if we're gonna go with that theory then maybe yeah maybe taking breaks you know next time you guys are active again you're like wow look at that that's extra vivacious like right <laughs> So yeah, breaks may breaks might be helpful, you know, depending yeah. on the guy. You might he might take a break for like a week or two, and then when you guys are active again next, you might be like, wow, like this was definitely like stronger intensity. Now is he gonna want to take a break for a week or two? I mean, you gotta ask him. He's probably gonna say no. <laughs> I don't know. Right. <laughs> be like a week or two. <laughs> no, no. You have any input on this? 
I do not. I think you guys covered it. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, Look at her face. I was like, is she trying oh my to gosh. say something? Is she not That's hilarious. No, this is the first time so, I've not contributed anything. I, I think you guys covered it pretty well. So, Dr. No No, tell the people where they can find us. Please. For sure. So, don't forget, we have our website where you can also submit your questions at uh, com. And uh, going by the same handle, so the Chocolate MDS, you can follow us on our Instagram, Facebook, and our Twitter. Uh, so keep us updated with uh, new episodes and new content heading your way very soon. So, yeah. Send us your questions. We'll see y'all soon. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye, Bye y'all.